Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to another ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. You're listening to the award-winning podcast, The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show, featuring business experts, industry disruptors, game changers, and thought leaders to help you navigate a constantly changing marketplace. Want to build a successful business and become known as an influential voice in your industry? The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will show you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show. This is episode 279, brought to you by Podcasting with Purpose, helping you to stand out, be heard, and become that influential voice in your industry with a podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, the podcasting queen. Joining me on today's show is Tim Hyde. Tim, he is a serial entrepreneur, and he founded his very first business, a circus at the age of six, followed by Ugg Boot Imports, wine rack manufacturing, door-to-door sales and he co-founded one of Australia's first social media sites in 2000. Now Tim has worked with over 500 clients in 16 different countries and he's married to the awesome Penny who is also in business for herself and they just celebrated his 16th wedding anniversary and he also loves hanging out with his mad about rugby 13 year old son. Now on today's show, Tim is gonna share the importance of looking at the customer life cycle as a whole, what's holding you back from growing your business, it may not be what you think it is, as well as where people, where you as an ambitious entrepreneur and an aspiring industry thought leader are getting it wrong when it comes to automation. So welcome to the show. Wow, Amory, thank you for that fantastic introduction. I've just been listening to the, the accolades and everything going on with the, with the intro track. And, uh, I feel like I've got a lot to live up to today. Oh, no, look, I love uh, how we shared your backstory where you started your very first business uh, at the age of six, a circus at the age of six. It's interesting, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, was that something that was nurtured as a child? Like, were you your parents entrepreneurs or was that something that you were born with? They're not actually. I don't know where it came from, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm going to blame uh, my Uncle Scrooge Golden Book. Yeah. Now, to this day, I have no idea what Uncle Scrooge actually did, but I, I still remember reading those little Golden Books as a kid, and he would dive into these massive piles of money, and it looked like he was having so much fun. Yeah. I thought, this is, this is awesome. I, I don't know how he, how he does it or what he does, but I'm going to do I this. I want to do that too. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, certainly, you know, my family, no one's ever, you know, my, my brother and my sister are in business. Um, they're in, in uh, my, my sister's a diplomat and my brother's in the, in the police force. My parents, who are now both retired, are, um, you know, career public servants and teachers. So, you know, I'm not quite sure where it came from, but, uh, you know, I think after that first circus and, the, you know, got a bunch of kids giving me money, we all had fun. And once and I, that happens, it's like, now, how can I make more of this? Well, I just blew it all on Don Set Lollies. And <laughs> <There you go. laughs> where, do I, 
hooked to the idea of business or hooked to the sort of sugar up. Yeah. Well, we always talk about what's your why. Find out what your why was. And at that age, it was those lollies. I have to, just before we dive in, share my, my very first entrepreneurial pursuit, which was a failure, by the way. I don't know how old I was, but it was definitely a toddler when I was rummaging through my uh, father's bedside drawer and I found an old pair of his dentures while the light bulb went out. Tooth fairy, teeth, times how many teeth? But you can imagine my disappointment the next morning when I went and put my hand underneath the pillow and pulled out his old dentures again. But anyway, there, there you go. Thankfully, the years on, I had to be uh, entrepreneurial because I don't know about your parents, but mine were, the, you know, back in the days because they immigrated from Holland, you know, with, with, from the war, was if you want your own money and you want these things, you've got to earn it. You know, I was never really given pocket money, so I had multiple streams of income, which was horse manure, tidying up, babysitting, all that kind of thing before the age of 15. At the time, I hated it because all of my friends would get pocket money, but I'm, I, I appreciate it now because it's certainly, as you know, in business, there are ups and downs and challenges, and if you don't have the, the uh, yeah, the tenacity, I think, to, uh, to see through them, it can be a, a bit of a challenge, so... Yeah. Thank you for sharing. We don't necessarily know those lessons, but when we reflect back on the formative years of our life and and to where we are now, we we can very clearly recognise those pivotal moments. I think that really formed our resilience and our you know attitudes towards entrepreneurship. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's dive into your expertise, something that you've been developing over the last uh, many many years: the importance of looking at a customer lifecycle as a whole. Firstly, just to make sure we're all on the same page, how would you define customer life cycle? I think the customer life cycle really describes what marketing is really about. It, it's, it describes the sort of journey that someone takes from they don't know who you are to they're becoming a raving fan and advocate of your business. Yeah. Um, I think the big mistake that a lot of marketers make and a lot of business owners make as well is thinking marketing is the point to the bit where you get to the sales and then suddenly because a lot of us have come from corporate or aware of corporate we, we separate this marketing and sales into two completely different things when really all we're doing is just exchanging different types of value mm-hmm. and even post sale the journey still continues for that customer we don't stop at that point and we've all worked with a company who did everything they could to chase us and, and get our hard-earned dollars and then completely disappeared and there were crickets afterwards. Yes. And then, so the customer journey doesn't stop at that point of sale. It continues afterwards to continue building that relationship where they become fans and advocates of ours and, and continue promote, you know, to promote what we do to other people and even rebuy from us again as well. Yes. I think we're leaving a lot of money on the table because we're not aware of that. And we're certainly going to dive a little bit deeper into that. But one of the things that I'm often reminded of when we look at the customer life cycle and the journey is that the percentages, uh, and, and there's different percentages, but they are similar depending on who you speak to. Only a small amount of people who we are networking with and obviously sharing our content online are not only actively looking and they're aware that they have got an issue, but they're ready to say yes and to make a purchase decision. Something around between one to three percent. That's incredible, yes. isn't it? Very, very it's small. Very small. Yeah. yeah. So then if we're thinking about some of the strategies that we're implementing and not generating results, it's actually quite normal. We just need to make sure that what we're putting out there and the the sequence of it, and, and I'm sure you'll speak into that a bit more in a moment, 
is correct. It's definitely speaking to our ideal clients and continues to nurture those people through that funnel. Would you say that people still today aren't aware of the small percentages? And, and do you have, like, I think it's, what, 3% then um, the people who are actively looking and, and then the people who are not even looking at all? It's, they're quite, um, quite distinguishable, those percentages, aren't they? I think they are. I, I would normally say that, you know, of the, every time you put yourself out there, um, you're going to advertise to a bunch of people who represent not just your ideal target market and people who are ready to buy from you right now, but also raising the awareness of people who you don't want in your business mm. as well. And I would normally say, look, if 3% of people are ready to purchase from you today, they're looking right now, they've got a clear and present need for the solution that you provide. It's a high enough priority for them that they want to solve right now over all of the other priorities that they could have, like school fees or mortgage payments or um, you know, whatever else they might have going on in their life. Uh, the next 67% of people could be your clients, but it's just not the biggest priority for them at mm, the moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. so they've got other things going on. Maybe they've got a staff member they need to, you know, they need to on board or they've just lost a client or there's something else going on in their business that they need to solve or in their lives. You know, it depends if we're talking B2B or B2C. Yes. Um, and then we've got about 30% of people who you will, every time you put yourself out there, will see who you are but are not really, you don't really want to attract them. They represent people who you probably can't help as well, mm-hmm. or they're kind of on the fringes of who your ideal customer really is. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if you start looking at those percentages um, and we look at what our strategies are, you know, it's almost like planting a strawberry field. You wouldn't plant a strawberry field and then go out next Wednesday and just happen to pick the ripe strawberries at that particular moment and then go, you know what, I think I'm going to go and plant another strawberry field. What you do is you'd continue to nurture that field, you know, keep watering it, keep fertilizing it, and yes. then you keep picking strawberries day after day after day. And that's really what our customer customer base is, is like. Um, and in many ways, I think, you know, the, the marketing fraternity, and particularly direct, you know, direct sales or direct um, response marketing has got a little bit to answer to before because it, it, we're, it's only really looking at those people already like right now mm-hmm. and we kind of chuck the rest away. We have a very short relationship with them. Yes. You know, and really we're all in the, we're not in the B2B business and not in the B2C business. We're in the human to human business. Mm-hmm. Right? And just like we treat our personal relationships, we need to treat our business relationships too. We wouldn't go into a pub, you know, as a single person, go up to the nearest person that you, that you meet and say, hey, Anne-Marie, I think the names for our five children should be, you know, Dave, <laughs> Sally, Anne-Marie, yeah. you know, Tim Jr. and, uh, and Robert. We build a relationship first. We build some foundations of that relationship by saying, hey, you know, I love your dress. Can I buy you a drink? Let's dance. Can I get your number? And we sort of build through these stages of intimacy, right? We get to the point where we'd have a, an engagement party, a wedding and a honeymoon mm-hmm. to recognize the, you know, the consummation or the onboarding of that relationship. Yeah. That's the sale part of our relationship. And then if we wanted to keep that relationship alive long term, We'd also remember things like birthdays and anniversaries and important details about our our partner, mm-hmm. right? But our businesses can't survive on one relationship. We need to be a bit, you know, dare I say it, we need to be a bit polyamorous. Yeah. And we need to have lots of these different relationships who are all at different stages of that customer journey. Some people were married to already. Some people were in early stages of, of courting. And that's what our business is like. And we start to think about how can I build depth in my relationship how can mm. i add value 
okay, how can I give value into this relationship? The more likely we are to get value from those relationships as well. Yes, yeah. So such a great point. Then if you have a look at the relationships and, and the different stages, if you will, of that customer life cycle or, or even the buyer's journey, then there's obviously core components or pieces of content that you are going to be sharing to nurture people through uh, through that stage. For instance, people who may not really know you, but they have a, an awareness that they've got an issue, there's no point um, offering them to sell them something because they have not yet bought, you know, bought into the no like and trust aspect of you. Mm. So you want to provide a bit more information whilst showcase your expertise. Now, if someone has not uh, got into place a system that allows them to funnel that through, if they've got to do that each and every time with a new prospective customer, it gets exhausting and that's where marketing gets really hard, doesn't it? So I know, well. yeah, and expensive. So we're gonna mix in, I think, you know, what's holding people back from growing the business. Number one, not having that automation in, in, in place. And then also look at where are people getting that wrong? So explain to people who may be aware, but but may not have had it just kind of laid out very simply, because it can be <coughs> scary to, to, to even consider implementing if we haven't done this in our business. What should a, a really strong, solid uh, automation funnel look like and that you're obviously implementing for your clients? Give them a big picture view, if you will. Yeah, look, big picture. Look, big picture, I think we can, I have a rule I call my 330 rule. And it, it, um, I think if you think of all of your marketing uh, and even look at how you respond to stuff that you might see in your, your Facebook feed or on LinkedIn, uh, we've really got three seconds to earn the right to get 30 seconds of someone's time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first thing is at a glance, do, is that going to capture somebody's interest? Right? So we need to speak not to solutions. We need to seek to, you know, to problems. We need to speak to the payoff. Right? We're not, in, people aren't interested in our process at that stage. Yes. They're interested in ultimately how we can help them go from pain point, which is big enough for them to solve. Right through a transition process, which is less painful than staying where they are, mm. this payoff point, right? This promised land at the other end, and unless we can articulate throughout that throughout our journey, we're not really going to ever move anyone anywhere. Mm. And and most companies that I work with start with the process, and that's our default. We get to this point where I'm going to spend ten minutes describing my process to you, and if you find yourself doing this in your sales team, you're probably sabotaging a lot of your opportunities yeah. right now. So I think 3.30, think I've got three seconds to grab someone's attention and then I've got 30 seconds to earn the right to get three minutes. Yeah. And then in that three minutes, I've got to earn the right in that three minutes to get 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And in that 30 minutes, I'm going to earn the right to get three hours of someone's time. So if we look at our marketing process here, this might break down to, I'm going to create a really catchy image and headline. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have 30 seconds worth of you reading the first couple of paragraphs of my copy. And that's going to earn the right to get you to read to the bottom of the copy to then do some form of call to action. And that might be a download a resource that's going to help them on their customer journey between that pain point to the payoff point. Right? And then they're going to spend 30 minutes going through that exercise that you've given them, a cheat sheet, a worksheet or, or something. And that's going to earn the right to them. It might even be a short webinar. It's going to earn the right to get the next 30 minutes of time. And once they've done that, then we're going to earn the right to then, hey, let's sit down with you to get three hours of your time and run you through maybe your first course or mm. you know your initial you know opt-in or your, your discovery workshop or consultation 
right? And that then earns the right to get maybe three days, which is that short course mm. worth of thing. And we've got to deliver an experience that people go, wow, this is actually really good. This is helping me in this transition between pain and yes. fail. And that, if we do that well, then we earn the right to get 30 days. Mm. Okay. So we start to think like that more rather than going straight from, you know, that first initial conversation to let's have, a, you know, five kids together yes. and, and live in a house in the country, right? It's almost a, a leap too far, mm -hmm. right, to buy this big thing. And that's why we, and then more often than not, as you said earlier, we leave so many opportunities on the table because there's only a very small amount of people who know you, like you, and trust you enough to go into that deep end of the pool. Yes, yeah. And even if people are very visible uh, online, and I think we've got into the stage where we realise just how very important it is to be able to be visible, we still need to have that back-end structure that supports them, that you're building no like, and trust, and that you're validating that what you're saying is, in, in fact, true through case studies and clients that you work with and, and all of that. So understanding now and giving people an understanding of that, if they're just starting out, what would be a really good place to start in building that funnel? Because so often people dive straight into to tactic without actually thinking about a strategy first. And I'm sure there's a good sequence to follow when it comes to automation and building the right steps first. What would they be? Um, from an automation perspective, I think we can look at what are the things that are holding you back? Um, and those people listening, I know we're live on Facebook now, right now, so I'm going to draw a, a picture for the people on Facebook who are watching, but certainly the people who are, who are listening to this podcast. I want you to draw a pyramid and then break it into sort of four, uh, sort of three, you know, vertical lines, right? So effectively got four sections in that pyramid. For the people on Facebook, you'll see this, right? So it's the right way up, looks like the Pyramid of Giza. There's a little section at the top, and that's what we call our genius zone. Right, so the things in the genius zone are the stuff that's driving our business forward that we really love doing, right? And we can do all day long and not feel like it's draining us. The second section down in here is our expert zone. Right? That's the stuff that we're good at and drives our business forward, but we're not necessarily energized by it. Mm. Okay. Um, I would be loath, I would generally put sales and marketing activities, one of these top two things, right? The next zone down, down, you notice how they're getting bigger as we go down the page. Right, the next zone down is our competent zone, mm -hmm. and that's the stuff we can do in our business, but we often find it just takes a lot of time. Right? So things like graphic design, I can write, um, you know, I can reconcile accounts if I have to. Right? But generally speaking, they just take a lot of time, don't really drive the business forward and don't really do much what we want, to, you know, doesn't really thrill us to bits. Mm -hmm. And the bottom zone, that's our incompetent zone, right? And you'll notice that's generally the bigger one. And I think what people hold people back when they look at our business um, is that we spend so much time in our competent and incompetent zones mm. doing things that really don't drive the business forward and we don't enjoy, right? And really should be off our plate, yes. right? Because we're just not doing them. And I'm, you know, I would put website coding in there for most people, unless you're a website developer, do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But for large people, they go, what am I doing? You know, I'm going to save a few dollars and build my own website. But realistically, you're going to take hours and hours and hours longer than a web developer will and get a poorer result because you don't really know what you're doing and then potentially sabotage a lot of what your opportunities are, right? Now, what we should be doing with this pyramid is really flipping it upside down. Yes. Okay. And our genius zone is at the top. That's the stuff, again, that drives our business forward. Um, 
if you can't do sales, give it to somebody else, right? Focus where your genius is in your business, right? Next turns down, they're competent, expert, competent, incompetent. Now, realistically, most of the things in our competence and sorry, and our competent and incompetent zones, we should be that outsourcing, mm-hmm. right? Eliminating altogether. So delegating, eliminating or automating. And that's the repetitive stuff we do so much of that really just takes our time away from business. So I think if we're going to start our automation journey, I would start by doing that exercise. Mm. Write down the tasks that you do. Now go to everything. It might be copying data between systems. It might be, you know, sending invoice reminders. It might be, um, you know, emailing your database on a regular basis. Mm. It might be reaching out to referral partners. Uh, I've automated um, a campaign that sends my wife flowers. Wow. Okay, so she got some flowers the other day from my automated campaign. Now, they still call me and say, hey, Tim, you know, get, what's your credit card details? Yes. Um, but if I, again, in terms of my customer journey, and I put this in inverted commas with my wife, I want to continue to nurture the relationship. And one of the best ways to do that is remember her anniversary, right? send her flowers periodically. Right? I could do the same thing with my mother-in-law and send her a text periodically and say, hey, hope you're well, just thinking of you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Here's a picture of James, our son. <laughs> right. I could automate that if I wanted to as well. So we can look at all sorts of different things, but that's a thing that takes my time that is a repetitive process that I can do, but doesn't drive my business forward. Mm. So it's a prime candidate for an automation strategy here. All right. Now, traditionally, we would have given this to a staff member. Right? Yeah. and hope that they follow the procedures manual and they're not sick and they're so on. Right? So what we want to start to do is get our staff to do more complex tasks and our automation systems to look at that repetitive task. Mm-hmm. So things like every time a website inquiry comes in, do we acknowledge the website inquiry? Every time a payment comes in, do we acknowledge the payment? Right? Anne-Marie, you were talking before about um, how your systems are all connected and someone comes into you know, your... Uh, your course platform in Kajabi. Mm. Now, seven days after they've started the course, we might send an automate or trigger an automation to say, hey, we noticed it's been seven days, just wanted to reach out and see how you're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we can look at what has happened and what hasn't happened. So if I haven't done the first steps, we can now use an automation to trigger an intervention to say, hey, you noticed you haven't gone into the first part of the course yet. Yes. You need help. All right. Another three days later, if they still haven't done the action you want them to do, we could raise a, an automation, which would be a task to a staff member to kind of say, hey, I notice you haven't done that next step. If you need some help, mm-hmm. let's reach out manually. Yes. Right? But unless we work out what tasks we're doing, unless we work out which ones are falling and we can do them, but probably shouldn't, and we can't do them, let's eliminate, delegate, or automate them. We don't really know which things we should be looking at in our business. Yeah. I love the way that you've um, identified those things because it's we don't know what we don't know. And when we're looking at how people are assuming certain tasks to be automated, it's the other touch points that can be automated to, especially after someone signed up for a course, um, that allows that customer experience to continue because I think when we're nurturing existing customers through that entire life cycle, they become our biggest ambassadors, don't they? 
yep. and we'll often leave uh, opportunities like that. Even to have conversations, it may just be something they're not clear <coughs> on. Once they get clear on that, they're then able to dive deeper into the course rather than maybe asking for a refund because something is completely confused them. Other yeah. things where you find that business owners are getting automation wrong, it, do you have a bit of a list of the top three which we really need to address? Oh, I think probably looking, not looking at the entire customer life cycle is, is definitely one. Mm. Um, thinking that it's only customer facing is probably a second one. Right? It's not just about nurturing your prospects and putting them into some you know, linear uh, nurture process. Mm. Right? We can use automations for all sorts of things from you know, sending flowers to the wife and reminding the kids to do the homework to uh, look, I'm setting up another one at the moment. It's going to send my bank manager an email um, every year just saying, hey, look, I'm thinking of moving banks. Can you give me a payout figure? Yeah. Right? Because sure as, you know, the, sure as anything, they're going to call me up and say, hey, we'd like to keep your business. Yes. What can we do? And I might get, if I get nothing, I get nothing. But I haven't, I've got to ask the question. Yeah. Um, to nurturing relationship with partners, you might fill our funnel. Um, one of the scary stats that, that, always astounds me because we know that word of mouth is the, the best form of new business for us. Brings us the hottest opportunities and the easiest ones to close generally for more money is referral, as you just mentioned. Yeah. And yet only 15% of professional salespeople will, will actively ask for a referral. Mm. We just assume that referral happens. So why not build, if this is our process, why not build it into our process that says, at 30 days, let's ask if we're getting if we're delivering customer value, and then let's ask for a referral. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's ask if you're a restaurant. If I know that someone's made two bookings in my restaurant, they obviously like it because they've come back. Let's ask those people for a Google review or a Facebook review mm -hmm. because they've come back, so they obviously like it. If anyone's only come once, let's not ask those people. Right, because they may not have liked it. Yes. Uh, so there's all sorts of things that we can do in our business that can create massive leverage, you know, through automation and systemize their business. And here's the thing, right? We know that in order to make four, a four-figure business, we've just got to start. We've just got to do something and we'll make four figures, right? You can do that very comfortably on the side of your day job in very little time. To make five figures, generally speaking, you need to work in your business, mm -hmm. right? You can't make five figures and do your day job as well. To make six figures, we just got to get really clear about who our customer is and what we do for them, yes. and who who is not our customer. But the big transition for most people, and this is why I think there's an ABS stat in Australia that says only uh, two thirds of Australian businesses do not make two hundred thousand mm. dollars, right? mm. and only four percent of businesses. This is a US study, make more than a million dollars. Yeah. So there's a big lot of people in there who get stagnated by the fact that A, they're working on the wrong things and not letting go of the reins a little bit, right? But also not the difference there is they're not putting systems and processes in that execute the business for them. And that's the big, that's the big you know, trigger yes. in order to move from six to seven. Now from seven to eight, you've just got to get out of your own way. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love that because so many people who are building a business, they find they get to a stage where their client uh, schedule is full and the only way to grow the business is um, 
you know, more hours, typically what they think. But as you said yep. and reminded us, what activities are we working on that A, we can automate, we can dele delegate and that we really need to not be doing anymore so that once it's set up or we've got team members to handle that, it can be done and, and it frees us up to be able to do that. And I think uh, technology and, and all of that can be a little bit scary, but there's people such as yourself that can certainly support us in being able to build that. And that, once it's set up, enables us to scale the business. I think we often yeah. hear the term, scale the business, scale the business. There's no way that we can do that unless we have those processes and yeah. systems in place. And one of the things about that too is you can start to monitor and track what's working and what's not working and therefore tweak things. That's something that we so often forget to do as well. Do you find that as well? Yeah, I think so. You know, we, we set stuff up and I mean, even from an automation perspective, I've got lots of campaigns set up that do my things, but I'll still get in there, um, you know, every month and, and spend half an hour working on it and evolving the stuff I've got or revisiting things that no longer necessarily work as well. Yes. And I think that's the third mistake that people make when we're building automation into our build into our business is we think we need to get to the end point now. Yeah. All right. Rather than starting small and evolving it as we go. Yeah. All right. Now, if we start small and just go, the first thing I'm going to do is set up an automation to automatically respond to a website inquiry mm -hmm. and just set start to set some expectations about how quickly I will respond to that person. All right. Or to set up some form of sales pipeline so we know where our opportunities are, mm. right? And if we put someone into the, the customer evaluation stage to reach back out to them on a regular basis, either raising an internal automation to set a task for someone to do or raising some form of communication to them to say, just circling back, how's it going? Have you had a chance to consider our proposal yet? Just little things like that, mm. we can start to go, I'm letting these opportunities drop through the cracks. Yes. Right? And then we can start to go, all right, I'm now creating more leverage because otherwise uh, we get to this stagnation point. As you said, we just go, the only way I can grow my business is, is more hours or more people. Mm -hmm. More people means more relationships, both internally in our business as well as externally, which means more management, which means more overhead. Yes. Right? And most of the time we try and keep that in our head mm. about where's everything up to. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think uh, once those systems in place, one of the things that I've just uh, implemented, which has been awesome, is uh, tracking the various conversations that you are having with people because everybody, as we know, going through the buyer cycle is at different stages. And if we don't have somewhere where we can capture the information, if we're trying to keep that all in our head, it's just impossible and everything can, can fall down. And so... Uh, it, it really goes straight. If you want to build that that customer centric uh, business, these tools. I think you can't build a business without these tools anymore, especially with with so much of of, of networking now being done online. Um, there's so many opportunities, and there's just no way we can manage that all just through pen and paper anymore. Yeah, and, look, I, to be honest, I think uh, you know this sort of technology is almost more important. Than your website mm. now you know uh, social media in many ways has given us a pseudo um you know digital presence and in, in, in website yeah. um but we still need to, I mean, ultimately our ability to grow and scale our business is really encapsulated by our ability to effectively emulate more one-on-one -on -one conversations yeah yeah, yeah. Right? So and true. the more one-on-one -on -one conversations we can have 
the bigger and faster our businesses will grow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have only just scratched the surface oh, yeah. in this conversation. <laughs> so for people who are listening today and thinking, okay, now I can understand. I've got a big picture view. Tim shared a number of the you know, automation that he's doing in his business. I need to start to be more intentional. Uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you, Tim, to have a chat with you? Oh, look, just reach out via my website, Tim. Uh, I, so it's winmoreclients.com.au. Um, feel free to email me, Tim, at winmoreclients. Um, or jump on. I've got some really cool resources on there as well. One of the really good ones that sort of starts to talk around, you know, how we go through these multiple steps is called The Sales Machine. All right, so you'll find that on my website as well, winmoreclients.com.au forward slash sales machine. Fantastic. There you go. Yeah, so. Well, thank you so very much for coming on the show and um, sharing your insights with us today. Thanks, Emery. It's been fabulous chatting to you today, and and uh, I know all the stuff that you do in your business, and I know you're well on your way to uh, having that, you know, awesomely automated, <laughs> scalable business that allow you to do podcasts and yes, sit on the beach drinking yeah, cocktails. Fantastic. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tim. You've been listening to the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show, brought to you by PodcastingWithPurpose.com. Stand out. Be heard. Influence. Want to influence real change with your own podcast? Access our free podcast training, including our no-cost and low-cost tools and podcast production workflow checklists to get you started at www.podcastingwithpurpose.com forward slash mini training. That's podcastingwithpurpose.com forward slash mini training. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.